welcome to the Girls Who Run the World podcast, where we're bringing you inspiring guests who are leaders in their industries. We'll be tackling topics from education and empowerment to diversity and inclusion. Together, let's learn from these incredible women. This podcast is brought to you by Our Gorongosa. We create specialty coffee with 100% of profits supporting people, wildlife, and the planet in Gorongosa National Park, Mozambique. Girls' education is one of our biggest priorities because we know girls have the power to change the world. Just like Beyonce said, who runs the world? Girls. Hello and welcome back to the Girls Who Run the World podcast. I'm your host, Emily, and I'm so, so grateful that you are joining us here today. This is episode 28, and we are speaking to Jennifer Norman. Jennifer Norman is the founder and chief human officer of Humanist Beauty Skincare and the Human Beauty Movement. So Humanist Beauty Skincare is a company that champions inclusive beauty and wellness for all. And before that, she spent over 20 years as a marketing executive in the beauty industry. So she has really, really seen it all and is making such a difference. She is also a certified B Corporation. So that says something about the standards that she holds her company to. Jennifer is also a single mom uh, to a boy who has a severe chronic illness. So as such, she is passionate about encouraging people of all ages to be their most exceptional regardless of ability, race, religion, or gender, which is such a beautiful thing. So she has also authored and published award-winning children's picture book series, called The Adventures of Super Captain Brave Man. These books are so beautiful and incredible, and they really promote early age friendship, kindness, understanding of individuals that present physical or neurological differences. So much to this woman. What a powerhouse. So in this episode, you will learn the ways in which her son has been her biggest teacher in her life. We chatted about her experience in early life, being adopted and how experimenting with beauty was always something that she explored even from a young age and really how she parlayed her love of beauty and experimenting into an illustrious career and why she eventually founded Humanist Beauty. We also got to talk about how Humanist Beauty is creating a community surrounding beauty positivity and she taught me what that means which I absolutely loved inclusivity, self-love, and we just really kind of defined those words as well. And lastly, we talked about how and why she decided to start her successful children's book series. So I hope you love this interview as much as I did. Without further ado, let's get to it. Here's episode 28 featuring Jennifer Norman. So welcome to the show, Jennifer. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Emily. I am delighted to be here. Well, we are delighted to have you. And we're just going to jump right in. We're not going to waste any time here. And I want to hear from you. What are you most grateful for in your life right now? Oh, you know, I have come to learn to be grateful for the small things. And by the small things, I mean the big things, but the things that we often take for granted. These are when I wake up in the morning, I always, you know, get up with a smile and I say, I am so grateful that I can breathe this air, that I can go out in nature, I can hear the birds. A bird actually came into my house and started flying around and I was grateful for that adventure. (laughs) Things like that, that, you know, are just like those little tiny moments that you stop and pause and say, this is the miracle of life. That is every now moment that I've collected over time. And there are going to be so many more wonderful, precious now moments going forward. 
Mm, That's beautiful. I love that. So aside from probably, I'm going to guess nature, what else really inspires you daily to do the work you're doing and just keep forging forward in all these incredible projects and businesses you have going on? Yeah, I have to say my biggest inspiration has been the journey that I have had with my beautiful warrior boy, my son, Kyle, who has been um, the greatest informer of understanding and appreciating those little things that I'm grateful for, as well as telling me and, and letting me appreciate what the power of spirit really is. He is a boy who lives with a very, very rare disease called a mitochondrial disorder. And he was diagnosed when he was young. And so his quest for survival, number one, because he was not um, diagnosed and his prognosis was bleak. He was not expected to live past three years old. We just celebrated his 16th birthday this past weekend. And so every single moment he inspires me because he's a survivor and he is non-mobile and non-verbal. Yet I definitely sense so much strength and so much goodness of spirit and so much joy just from being in his vicinity. And so it caused me to recognize that despite what we think about when um, we, we talk about, you know, those that have like these, you know, superhuman or these, these amazing abilities, the, the ones that I think are the most capable are often the ones that we would perceive in human form as having the least abilities because they, they, they are able to project and they're able to live and instruct in different ways. And it's very eye-opening and precious to be a mom of a special boy. I know that a lot of others in the special needs community feel the same way. Um, that you know the, the gift of having somebody in your life that you care for so much and that is able to open your eyes to a different way of living is really something that is, it, it's an extraordinary, it's an extraordinary lesson to learn. It's an extraordinary way to give. Wow. That's incredible. And happy birthday to your yes, son. Belated. Happy to him. That's Thank incredible. You. I think, I mean, there's so much to that piece you've said, but I think what really especially stood out for me was just that fact that you Sometimes we think that the only way you can communicate is through words, but in my opinion, there's many other ways to communicate. And I think even through the energy, I'm very attuned to energy. And so Mm -hmm. I typically can feel without anyone saying a word in a room Mm -hmm. if people are feeling uneasy or if there's been some discord or whatever it may be. So I think that's Mm -hmm a really amazing reminder for us all that there are more ways to communicate than just through our words. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the words don't tell the truth, do they? It really is the energy that, uh, that speaks much louder. If you think about the times when, you know, maybe, maybe it was a a parent or maybe it was somebody that close to you that was like, you know, yelling at you saying, don't you know that I love you? (laughs) <laughs> I don't no. you know that. And no, because that, you know, the words and the vibration of the energy that they're emitting is not in alignment. And so the thing that really speaks the loudest, so to speak, is the, the energy or the vibe that they're casting, not necessarily the words. 100%. And the vibes do not lie. That is true. <laughs> don't lie. Vibes don't lie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
what advice would you give your younger self? And I always preface if she would listen. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? Because Lord knows I would not have listened. I wouldn't have either. <laughs> when I was younger, I was kind of the rebel with no cause. <laughs> now I consider myself a rebel with a cause or with many causes. But, um, you know, I think that back then I would have told myself, don't take things so seriously. Because I, for whatever reason, was a workaholic at a very young age. I think it was in my DNA. I think it was just like this, the, the, the Asian tiger or that, that desire to just work, 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 work myself to the bone. And I really ended up burning myself out so dramatically over time. And I would probably tell myself, don't stress out over things that don't mean very much, you know, it just really don't sweat the small stuff and really just, you know, enjoy the the minutes that you have every single moment and don't think too much about the future because the future will take care of itself. It always does. I think for me, I will say one thing that helped me learn a bit of that lesson is I'm still learning it, but I learn a lot of that lesson, I would say is becoming a mom as well, because at the end of the day, I think the amount of things that are actually on my list of things I really care about, it's pretty small now. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's really quite small. You know, there's a few handful of people. Obviously, I care about the collective well-being of the world as well. But, you know, there's the people near and dear to me. And, you know, there's a few other things. Health, maybe, you know, mm-hmm. and you're right. So many other things I think we get caught up in feeling very stressed about when they're kind of inconsequential in the scheme of things. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Who or what has been your biggest teacher so far? Yeah. I was alluding to, to the fact that my son was my biggest inspiration and he also would be my biggest teacher. And the reason why I, I, I say that is because I think before Uh, with all the things that I was taking for granted and the way that I was prioritizing things, which was getting ahead in career, um, again, burning the candle at at any end that I could, and really defining success in material accumulations. And so when suddenly you have a loved one that, you know, becomes ill, and it's completely unexpected, I think that it's it really turns your world upside down and it does create a bit of a, a traumatic experience because you know you you don't know if, if if your young son who's two years old is is going to live or not. And so afterwards I will say that once we got through this situation where he was getting better, he was improving and life started to normalize. I actually was diagnosed with PTSD because it was this um, this huge wave of you know cortisol spike and and adrenaline and, and all that and then when things started to normalize I crashed and I couldn't understand what it was about life being normal that I was having such a hard time coping with and then I realized you know what I was going through was okay it was that I, it was a it was a call to reevaluate what I was doing in life in terms of like getting back to work and and thinking about um, you know just trying to 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 be this accelerated woman in business, woman in beauty, you know, doing all the things that I was doing, and yet also being a mom and then also caring for a special needs son, 
all of these things felt like they were overwhelming me at once. And with him, I recognized that the only things that matter are family and love and health and all those things that you described before. He taught me that really, as long as you feel that you are living in a way where you can prioritize your own happiness and be gentle with yourself and be kind to yourself and, and respect yourself and others, then every day can be just a brand new day. And it doesn't have to, you don't have to look at it like this, this mountain that you have to climb. You don't have to feel like you're holding your breath till the weekend or, you know, thinking about, you know, what the future is going to hold. You can just really relish in the today. Mm, I love that. And it brings kind of, I find like a simplicity and an ease, the more you are able to lean into that kind Mm -hmm. of pared down list of things you really, truly care Mm -hmm. about. It Mm -hmm. makes, has made anyway for me life just, yeah, a lot simpler and just things there's an ease to things that I think I didn't experience in my younger years. That is really beautiful. And Mm. I'm glad that I'm I'm here and I'm glad to see that I'm, I I hope I keep going in that direction more and more. (laughs) I'd love to start kind of at the beginning of Jennifer's life here. So for you, I would love you could situate us because you know, now you're a mom and entrepreneur and all these things, but Let's go back before that. So what was your early life like? Give us kind of a picture. Where did you grow up? What were the things you liked to do when you were younger? Fill us in. Sure. Wow. The beginning of my life was a bit unconventional in that I was born in Korea and I was an abandoned baby. And so I was brought to an orphanage. And back then, it was a bit easier and quicker to adopt. Mm -hmm. Luckily, I was adopted within about six months and uh, made the trek over to Long Island, New York, where I grew up with with a fascinating Caucasian family. My mother was British. My dad was American. They had three of their own children and uh, just felt called to save the world one child at a time. After I was adopted and I was adopted at two years old, when I was four, they adopted my sister and brother from Vietnam. And so they had three Caucasian kids, three Asian kids, all of us just a a crazy, um, wonderful and boisterous family with six cats and three dogs. And so there was a lot of energy in that household, let me tell you, growing up. (laughs) So, you know, early on, I think I learned the appreciation of diversity and inclusivity. Early on, I learned about, you know, love for animals and rescuing pets and (laughs) all of those things. Early on, I also learned, you know, my mother was a vegetarian. I learned about, you know, cuisine and and, and cooking and, and all of those things. But the thing that I didn't really learn at an early age was who I was. And I felt that I was quite lost. I was, it was quite a struggle. And it was something that was hard to identify because when you're young, you don't really understand. You're just growing up and you just, I think a lot of people feel like they just don't fit in or they don't belong anyway, let alone the fact that here I was, you know, in this, you know, wonderfully crazy family, you know, growing up and trying to um, understand why I was a certain way and why I felt certain feelings and had certain proclivities that none of my other family members had or, or, or behaved like, like I was talking about the, the, the tiger involvement and right. that nature in me. I was the only one in my family that was like that. Everybody else was very easygoing. So it works that my father used to say, stop working so hard, take it easy. No one was pushing me like I was pushing me. 
And so I, you know, I, I accelerated in a lot of different ways. I, you know, started tap and ballet early on. I went into gymnastics. I took piano lessons. I took violin lessons. I, you know, was in the choir. I was an, you know, a, a, an honor roll student. I was an artist. Um, I really just, you know, immersed myself in all sorts of things. But interestingly enough, I was extremely shy. And that was because because I felt uncomfortable with myself and I was extremely insecure and I really felt like I was not pretty. I, I was not, you know, attractive and I felt like almost afraid to be around other people because I felt that they were judging me. And I, you know, and so, you know, I would, I kind of leaned into that by experimenting with hair and clothes and makeup and lo and behold, that started my career in beauty at <laughs> once I once I uh, graduated from business school. But that's kind of how I was growing up. It was really just a whole lot of experimenting and a whole lot of exploring and a whole lot of, you know, creative approaches to see, you know, almost like new clothes, trying things on and seeing how they fit and whether or not they did or, you know, it, it, it was always a lot of me, probably even into my, my twenties, you know, not necessarily feeling comfortable with who I was as a person and not really knowing myself. I started that journey later in life. I think that is probably quite common though, to start a little bit later. I think, I mean, even for me and I, I didn't have the adoptive experience you had. I definitely, felt some of those. So I can only imagine how you must have felt where you're looking around and thinking, where did, yeah, where did some of my traits come from? Like what, what is this in me that is different? And it makes, I think a lot of sense that you would have that strong kind of like achiever personality too, because I think that gives you a sense of belonging and a sense of accomplishment, I think in that way. And so that makes a lot of sense. It's like, of course you would want to kind of show up in that way. Cause that mm-hmm. kind of makes you feel like there's more of a place, I think in that way, like, okay, mm-hmm. I belong here because I'm excelling at this. Like, there's no way anyone can tell me I don't belong here because I'm really good at this. <laughs> so that makes a lot of sense. I can totally see that. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because it sounds like you always had kind of that hustle and that fire that you talked about. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious to hear how you took your kind of interest in beauty, which you touched on a little bit. You were kind of wanting to experiment with who am I, which I think it's really natural for, I feel like women, especially, but some men too, to play with like clothes and hair and just kind of figure out, yeah, what's your style and I think it kind of goes along with the the beauty as well. So I'm curious to hear, how did you kind of take that interest and parlay it into a career? It's interesting because as I mentioned before, I used to be a rebel with no cause. Um, I actually started in my love for beauty as an act of rebellion because I wasn't allowed to wear makeup. I was completely forbidden of wearing makeup until I was 16 years old. And I was upset about it. And I used to sneak it. And I used to, you know, do anything that I could, you know, once I got to school, I'd like, you know, tease out my hair. I'd change my clothes because I would never be allowed to leave the house with what I was normally, which what I wanted to wear. And so I get to school in the bathroom and I change my clothes and I put on a whole boatload of makeup. And, and so I, you know, and I, and I at an early age, because 
you know, I, I found it a little bit more difficult from a socialization perspective to have close friends. And so I spent a lot of time in front of the mirror. You know, I was doing a lot of what the TikTokers are doing these days. It was like, you know, I'm doing all the different styles, all the different looks, you know, playing with like all different, you know, ways of doing my hair and whatnot. And so it became just a natural penchant for me to enjoy the idea of changing myself out and, and morphing into some something else and, and experimenting with that. Plus being an artist, I did have an appreciation just for color theory and for aesthetics and whatnot. And so interestingly, when I went to college um, and then, you know, went to business school. At first I went into, like, I started a career path that I, I, that was not well-suited for me. I went into technology and, you know, did some things that just, that I felt were right from, you know, a money-making perspective, but I was like, this just, I, I do not, I do not like it. It doesn't jive with what I want to do. And so then when I graduated from Georgetown with an MBA and got tapped by L'Oreal to work with them, I was like, oh my God, I've made it. I mean, this is home and it was like easy and it was enjoyable and it was such a pleasure. I was like, this is fun, you know? And so from there, I mean, I, I, I didn't look back. I, I kept my, my career within the beauty space ever since, you know, my twenties. My and I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed watching the evolution on, you know, all of the things that have kind of come into being to what we see as the beauty industry today. You know, it continues to be a work in progress, but it's an exciting one. Yes, absolutely. So I'd love to talk a little bit about how Humanist Beauty came to be. So after your very illustrious career in the beauty industry, you obviously have continued in that, but now it's as an entrepreneur for your own company. So how did that journey start and what made you want to start this particular business? Yeah, there are a couple of reasons why, but the, the most significant one is that I felt that the time was right. I really felt that I was being called to create something that was a complete projection and reflection of what my internal values were that I didn't necessarily see being lived out in a lot of the companies that I was either consulting for or that I was working for. And those are values such as, you know, triple bottom line, like rather than just being all about the, um, the financials and about making money and about growth at any cost. I wanted to make sure that, you know, I was doing better for the world and really thinking about how products are put together and thinking about the messaging that goes along with the products, because I was also reflecting upon the impact that the beauty industry was having on women and men, you know, humans all alike, and uh, some of the dysfunction that had come along the way with the consumers, you know, the consumerism with the idea of um, creating products and then creating a, a sense of inadequacy in people if they didn't have those products or this idea that, you know, they, they needed to have the newest stuff now and buy more and more and more, even if they didn't necessarily need it or even if they couldn't afford it. And so I really wanted to take a more holistic approach in terms of well-being for the consumer and also think about, you know, not just the consumer, but the employees. Think about all of the stakeholders with, that I would be touching so that we can improve the economic function of capitalism as it stands today to one that is much more benevolent and regenerative. And so that's one of the reasons why I wanted to make sure that 
the company was a B Corp certified organization, just as our Gorongosa is, because I believe that the B Corp certification does set the standard for the best of the best in terms of social and environmental impact. And, you know, there are only a handful of companies within the beauty space that are B Corp certified. I'm really proud to be one of them. And um, I'm, you know, every day I try to do my best to uphold and, and exceed the standards for which, you know, the, the certification sets. And I really feel that it's important for those that have products, those that have services to really do everything that they can to be as mindful as possible. And really every company should think like a wellness company. You know, we are here in it for the wellness of everybody, every person that we touch and the earth that we're, you know, so benevolently living upon. So let's give back whenever we can. Mm, I love all of that. And I think for us too, the way that I look at at this is as, as having a company that is part of a B corporation and that really does excel in those areas you mentioned of impact and sustainability. I also like to think and like the way that we're doing business is that it can also be a super successful business money-wise. You don't have to sacrifice all those things to be able to make the company great. So I think I think that sounds like something you're really doing as well. And I just love to see companies who are showcasing that. It's like you can do all those things at once. Will you be as huge as L'Oreal? Maybe one day. That's my hope that these type of impact businesses do get to reach that level. But I do think that sometimes there's just misconception that you can't also be successful and profitable by taking care of the environment, as you said, and the people. And I do think it's really possible. So I just love hearing other businesses who are doing that too. Absolutely. (laughs) So I know at Humanist Beauty, you're really creating a community around beauty positivity, inclusivity, and self-love. So those Mm -hmm. are all three amazing kind of concepts and words. And I would love to hear how you're doing that and what those things really mean to you. Mm, Thank you so much for asking that. Yes. For me, the idea of beauty positivity, which to me is more expansive than body positivity. I think a lot lot of people have heard these days because it's such a fascinating and wonderful buzz term about beauty, about body positivity, but beauty positivity to me is really an extension of the idea that we are using beauty as a force for good as well. That beauty should not be used as a weapon. It's not to be used as judgment. It's not to be used as comparison. You know, let's create a place and a space for us all to be enamored by our own beauty that we exude, as well as other people's expression of beauty, no matter what that means and no matter how they choose to to manifest that in their own authenticity. And so that's really what it's about. It's the idea of starting with each individual and really do, you know, having these wonderfully intimate conversations about what it means to have self-love and what that means and, and some of the practices that we can involve ourselves in, whether it be journaling or meditation or breath work, things like that that are very mindfully gauged in terms of turning self-love and emanating that into a ritual of self-care so that it that can then be, you know, again, manifested outward. 
And so we're really starting from inside out. We think beauty is an inside job. And <laughs> all of the things that we provide, whether it be products such as, you know, our Urban Wisdom Facial Oil or, you know, some of the other elements that we provide, those are really ways to enhance the ritual. Those are ways for you to incorporate what you want to when you want to. Again, we're not in the we're not in the mindset of creating this manic, we're going on sale, gotta have it, you know, buy this now, buy a million of them, stock up. You know, it's it's not that kind of marketing at all. I kind of think of myself as a, a reformed marketer, yeah. <laughs> if you will. And you know, it's really about what can we do to serve others, you know, in a space of well-being and and kindness so that you know we can start building this beauty positivity in a very kind and gentle and and cool and and kick-ass way um, so that you know people can really find their joy, find their passions and find their love and and you know just just you know be as as true to themselves and as in alignment with themselves as possible. I love that. I would say I'm kind of a reformed marketer too, because I, I worked for lots of companies, but one I worked for is Lululemon and I love Lululemon still, but it really works on the scarcity mindset. So that's why things are very almost limited edition without saying that. And it really does create that must buy it now must buy more. And it kind of just drives the fear, I want to say, um, into people, which, yeah, not always the best vibe. So I totally get that. I'm I'm a little bit like that as well. <laughs> Moved yeah. on from that. <laughs> so I'd love to hear from you because you've, you've both worked for very, you know, large established companies. And I know you've done consulting and made the switch to full-time working for yourself as an entrepreneur. I'd uh-huh. love to hear from you what you kind of love about working for yourself versus working for someone else? Yeah, I will say that there was a comfort in working for somebody else in the past because you're getting a paycheck, you're, you know, getting that established, you know, training, I think, because it teaches you how to work within a company setting. It teaches you bureaucracy. It teaches you how to get things done. It teaches you a, a certain way. And in various companies that I had, everybody had like their, their own way of getting things done. And so it was fascinating just from a process perspective and from um, an organizational and activity perspective of to, you know, seeing how efficiency and effectiveness and operations, you know, ruled and, 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 and be the results of that. Working for myself, however, has all sorts of benefits that I think I was probably not ready for prior to the, to the leap. And that's why I made the leap because I was absolutely ready for it before I was intimidated. Like, Oh gosh, I'm not going to have the city paycheck. Oh gosh. You know, what if I fail And all of those things? But then once I released all of that and said to myself, there's no way I'm going to fail. I, you know, everything that I envision is, is just going to be incredible because I am leaning into joy and I'm doing things that I love. And I know that there is no way that this can't be successful. And it's with that complete knowing that entrepreneurs will guarantee their own success, because as soon as they start doubting themselves, 
then that's where things start to, to get weight, you know, that's where the vibration starts to get a little bit shaky and things start to crumble. And that was something that I learned is, is so important and so compelling. And once that is cleared and you are able to live without any fear at all and realize that there's nothing to stress out about because your success is already given, that you have the time to be able to be flexible in your life, to balance all of the joys and all of the pleasures of, of things that you want to, you know, to accomplish from a career standpoint or, or from a professional standpoint or an abundance standpoint, as well as, you know, time with family, which to me is very important and is very needed given my own personal situation. So I could not be more grateful or more thankful or more appreciative for the position that I'm in right now and for my now moments, because I believe that, you know, this was the path of my purpose and what I was absolutely made for, and I'm absolutely ready for it. So I do enjoy the idea of, of being an entrepreneur and also helping others as I'm, you know, hiring others within to the, you know, into the family as it were, and, and working with others and, making a shit ton of mistakes along the way, but it doesn't matter. It's, it's all fun. And, and, you know, that again, nothing is serious. Yeah. So to me, this is the, it's been the best move and absolutely no regrets. <laughs> I love that. And that unshakable kind of self-belief is so, so powerful. And I think it's really especially important for women. I think for some reason, a lot of us tend to struggle with that. So I think it's really beautiful that you brought that up. And it's just, you know, a good reminder for anyone listening that it is really important to cultivate that kind of unshakable self-belief because at the end of the day, no one, I always say this, no one's going to care about your business as much as you. That's just the way it is. So it's like, you need to care so, so much and know that you can, you're going to do it. Like it's happening. It's already done. And you brought up something very important, which is the fact that as females, we have societally been second since the time, since, since the beginning of time, right? And so it is no surprise that these insecurities or these feelings of inadequacy or these feelings of I'm in service to a, another or I am not as good, I am below, or there's this glass ceiling. There are all of these true societal conditions as well as the mental conditions that we have put upon ourselves that have limited us. And so, yes, you're exactly right. As far as doing that internal work to get yourself to a place where you feel worthy and you feel confident in yourself and you recognize that you are on a journey and on a path and everything that you're doing is leading you on the path of your own personal greatness, then you, you can't go wrong. You know, you are the girl that runs the world and you are the girl that runs your own world. Um, and so I would just, yeah, suggest to everybody to take that time again, those, those little practices and those little affirmations that you can tell yourself each and every day that are so important to get you where you want to go. Can I tell you a fun story, actually? I, I love, love telling it. this story. And, and, and I, don't, I don't remember if I've shared this on a podcast before. I may have. But back way back when, when I was you know, starting out my career, I remember that we were doing a commercial. It was a hair commercial with a young starlet who was just starting to break into the big time. And at this particular shoot, we noticed that this starlet kept saying, like looking herself in the mirror and saying, superstar, superstar, 
superstar. And we were like, what the, you know, we were like, you know, everybody was like, what the heck is that girl? But this was her way of affirming to herself that she was a superstar, even though she may not have been yet, but she was convincing herself that she was a superstar. And I want to say that this was probably about 25 years ago. And so do you know who that young starlet was? Who? Jennifer Lopez. I love her so much. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) She's awesome. Yeah. Just to say, I mean, and she had doubters and she had haters and she, you know, but, but no one can deny her success. And if you think and peel back the layers of what it took for this, you know, young girl, this Puerto Rican, you know, that used to live up in, you know, up in the Bronx and for her to make it and continue and persist in the face of all this other talents of all it, it was her belief and her resilience and her confidence and, and, and working on herself every single day that has gotten her to the place where she is now. And there's probably countless other stories of other, you know, young girls, other, other young people um, that, that are in a similar fashion. But again, if you can believe in you, you will be able to withstand any of the negativity and all of the naysayers and persist, 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 persist. And the persistence is what leads to success. Mm, I love that. Thanks for sharing that. And I'm a huge JLo fan. So <laughs> that was perfect for me. I was like, JLo? <gasps> oh. But yeah, what she's done is incredible, though. She's had such an amazing career. And I've followed her for a long time. I actually remember I was so in love with her in high school. I bought some of her clothing line. Uh, you may recall. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she and she had and I had it was hilarious. Like so of the times it had like, I still remember them. They were kind of like flared sweatpants and there was like rhinestone details near the butt, you know, like just classy. <laughs> um, but I thought I was like the coolest ever because I just it's so funny because you want I think looking back now through the lens of um, an adult woman. I think probably what I was wanting to embody was that kind of confidence piece that we've been talking about and that belief piece, because she was such an embodiment of that. And I think that's why Mm -hmm. I was probably so attracted to her and wanted to even buy her clothes with rhinestones on the butt. There you go. I love that. And you know, you're, you're, um, when you were talking a little bit before too, it really reminded me about how, everyone has their own journey. And I truly believe that everything you've done in your life does lead up, kind of adds up into what you're doing now. It's it's wild. You'll talk to people. And even just with your story, you were so interested in beauty from a young age and that directly became your career. But sometimes it's, it's more even nuanced. It's so interesting though, how all these pieces kind of come together. And it reminds me so much of one of my favorite books, which is called The Alchemist. And it's Uh, really about that. It's about how everyone has their own journey that they're on. And Mm -hmm. you really need to just keep focusing on the fact that like that belief, again, that you are on the right path and that the opportunities will present themselves. And you just need to say yes and keep going. We are all alchemizers. We are all turning, you know, the brass into gold. We're we're all like converting all of these things and synthesizing and and co-creating and and you know developing new things that are you know that becomes life. 
Yes. So beautiful, really. So before we get to the rapid fire round, uh, and actually it's a good segue because I am so curious to hear about how you started also as a beauty mogul and entrepreneur, how you started writing children's books. It's so fascinating. (laughs) Yes. You know, this, I started writing children's books during this hiatus period when um, my son was recovering and I was I had taken a year off, I had taken some time off and I was doing some consulting work part-time. So I had a little bit of time on my hands, quote, quote unquote. <laughs> and the, the idea came to, to us that whenever my then husband and I would go out with my son to the park or you know just take him out and about, a lot of people would stare. A lot of children would look and get a little bit afraid and parents wouldn't know what to say, what to do. Um, because he had a nasogastric tube coming out of his face. He had a tracheostomy tube that came out of his throat. He was either in a stroller or a wheelchair, depending on what his mobility was at that time. And he used to get really shy because he would notice that, you know, kids would just like either run away or they'd say, be like, mom, daddy, what's wrong with that boy? And they'd be like, Shh, don't be, don't, you know, that's rude. Stop saying, you know, don't stare, don't talk. And we thought to ourselves, what a great opportunity to help people understand what it is about disability and that it's not something to be afraid. It's not something to keep hush hush. It's okay to talk about it. And so what if we did it so that we could teach kids at a young age about disability or about different neurological or physical differences so that it became normal and that they would understand it and know what to do whenever they came across a a child or another adult that looked or behaved or acted in a, a different way from them and that they could just either ask questions or not ask questions, just know, know enough to be friendly and say hello, because it all starts with a friendly hello and kindness is the biggest superpower. So we started the Adventures of Super Captain Brave Man and it became a homegrown grassroots project where I wrote the books, I wrote the copy and my son's main nurse, Victor Lodovico, who had taken up just like drawing things on his iPad, we said, we want you to be the illustrator. And he was like, oh my God. And so he did his first drawings and they were literally done on his iPad. And that became the first book. And it launched on my son's 10th birthday. And then every year after that, we were launching new books about different kinds of conditions. The second book was on autism. The third book was on what nurses do. The fourth book was on Down syndrome. And the fifth book is kind of an origin story. And so, you know, we had developed this wonderful cache of of delightful books that became the Adventures of Super Captain Brave Man series. And it's wonderful because, you know, our goal is for every household, every library, we think that these these books should really be on the bookshelves everywhere. We think that they have a place and and deserve to have, you know, visibility in all sorts of, of, of spaces. And we do wonderful book readings. We actually have one uh, Thursday is actually Super National Superhero Day. And so we're going to a, a book and reading, you know, doing a book reading to 600 children, you know, so, you know, just wonderful things like that. It's really kind of brought us into this beautiful community of, of children and families, as well as medical practitioners, therapists, you name it, who are all saying, you know what, this is really great to finally have books where a young disabled boy is a protagonist and he through his dream state converts into super captain brave man this you know alter ego to help other kids learn to be friends with other kids wow that is incredible and i think it's 
it's so important to have those things represented, whether it's, yeah, in media or because the thing is, you might not come across a person with a specific special need in your life even. So it's so helpful though, if you have been kind of educated and your eyes have been open to what that condition might feel like, be like, but that at the end of the day, it's a human being, I think is kind of, you know, what probably want everyone to understand. It's like, they're humans. They have emotions. They are going to go through life maybe a bit differently than, than someone who is able-bodied, but we're all humans at the end of the day. And I think that understanding piece is so huge. Yeah. Everybody has a gift to give. Everybody has a story to tell. And I think about the times way back when, when really, you know, children or adults who were different from that perspective, either disabled or had downs or, you know, cerebral palsy, all of these, these, conditions, which would, you know, be caught, would cause their families to be looked down upon if it was known. And so they would hide these family members away, lock them, you know, in a, in a dark corner and, and, and they were not treated as equals. And that to me now is changing so wonderfully and dramatically for the better in that we are celebrating and we are really coming to a time where we're recognizing some of the, you know, some of the issues that uh, we have caused in the past, you know, through societal standards as it, as it were. And knowing that to your point, representation does matter. It really does. It's very important for us to be able to see ourselves and for companies such as mine um, with humanist beauty, I, I, I make a point to, ensure that there is valid representation and that everybody is treated with, you know, respect and admiration as they deserve to be. I love that. That is incredible. Before we get to the rapid fire round, I want to thank you, Jennifer, and acknowledge you for the way that you are changing such a not so typically great industry and really shaking things up in the beauty industry and showcasing that impact can be a part of beauty and how you're showing people through kind of this community of beauty positivity and inclusivity that everyone is welcome to kind of express their beauty in the way they want to. I think that's really, really beautiful. (laughs) Thank you so much for those words. You're so welcome. Okay, a book that's changed your life. Eckhart Tolle, uh, New Earth. Great book. Favorite place you've traveled? Ibiza. Oh, I haven't been there, but it's on my list. It looks amazing. <laughs> I went there for the first time last year, and it was just glorious. Not at all the, the party town that everybody makes it out to be. That's just a small segment of the town, <laughs> of, the, of the island. Um, the rest of it is just gorgeous, gorgeous beaches and beautiful water. Mm, Stunning. What's a lesson you've learned recently? That allowing is so much more powerful than actioning, (laughs) letting things happen rather than forcing them to happen. Mm. Very good lesson. I need that one. That's a good one. (laughs) And last question, (laughs) name a woman who inspires you. I tell you, man, Michelle Obama, she's got it going on. I think that she's just, she's just everything. You know, I I love her relatability. I love her humility. I love her smarts, her style, her wisdom. There's so much to be said about that woman. She's a great inspiration to me. 
Mm, she really is a total package for me, <laughs> to your point. She's extremely smart. She has a family that she clearly prioritizes. And I I love her style too. And I think she's showcasing kind of how humanist beauty, it's like choose your own adventure with beauty. And I think for her, she showed that you can be, you know, a powerful woman taken seriously and loving fashion, which there's nothing wrong with that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Thanks so much, Jennifer. I want to make sure everyone goes and follows along with you. So where are the best places for everyone to catch up with you? Yes. I think that the easiest thing to do is to Google me or Google the human beauty movement or humanist beauty, but you can also find us under those same handles on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Pinterest, on TikTok. We're just about everywhere. So yeah, but uh, you know, definitely come see our products on humanistbeauty.com. You know what? I have one more rapid fire question that just came to me. Sure. What's your favorite product that you would recommend people start with? The Urban Wisdom Facial Oil is my holy grail product. This has 500 milligrams of CBD plus Sacha Inchi, a whole lot of super antioxidants. It was the first product and the first product for a reason because it is so concentrated and such healthy nourishment for the skin. It could be used alone. It could be used as a meditative aromatherapy to breathe in. It can be used on top of your whole entire skincare routine um, in order to, you know, add that additional layer of moisture and nourishment to the skin. It calms, it soothes. It's really one of those kind of, you know, be all end all gotta have it products for me. And so, you know, I would recommend it to anybody who's really looking for just a a more healthy, balanced approach to their skin and to their wellness. Mm, That is amazing. And now I'm going to have to go get that. Thank you again (laughs) so much, Jennifer. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Emily. Thank you so much for tuning into the Girls Who Run the World podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend who would love it. Leave us a five-star review and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. To learn more about Our Gorongosa, head over to OurGorongosa.com and find us on social at OurGorongosa. 